Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. What in the hell do you think you're doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Oh, the dickens. Double time. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Let's get this thing kick-started on a Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining us in studio for the final time this week and then on the road coming up tomorrow and Friday. We'll talk about those locations and why you shall join us, hopefully, to win some stuff. Really, both days. I'm going to give you a chance to win stuff on the air. i got to figure out something, and Kyle's going to have to jump in here a little bit later on and help me figure that out even further. How we're going to give away some bullseyeeventgroup.com Colts VIP tailgate presented by Hayes and Sons Restoration Passes. Yeah, this is a Wednesday where we're going to give you some freebie opportunities to go coming up on Sunday beginning at 10 a.m., but I need to... I need to help those inside the lounge via YouTube Live who feel as if they are being unfairly treated in terms of trying to win something because there is a bit of a delay in this process. And really, there is no matter no matter where you're listening, unless obviously you're tuned in on one of the FMs, 93.5 or 107.5, you probably get an advantage. So if you're looking for that advantage, which I think everybody is, in the world of sports, in the world of business, you're always looking for that advantage. If you're looking for that advantage, uh, you can find that 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. But I wouldn't mind to give the folks inside the lounge, you know, maybe other than a couple, the clear and reasonable opportunity to maybe go coming up on Sunday. Because I'm telling you, regardless of what happens inside that stadium, it is an absolute party. You will love it. Colts practicing today in preparation for the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is a Duraco Wednesday. Mike Duraco of ESPN.com is going to join us coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll talk about where that Jacksonville team is, why the mastery, if you will, over the Colts, certainly on the road in Jacksonville the last two appearances. But overall, sure. And really, if you remember the last time Jacksonville was here, It took the Colts some fancy footwork defensively to wiggle out of that mess. So there has, and and they had a clown coach then. They're being coached by a clown. So imagine now when you got actually a good coach, you know, a guy that has won a Super Bowl as a coach. Now you have a hell of an opportunity, right? So a lot of things to be figured out, a lot of injuries now to sift through, whether you're talking about Jonathan Taylor. I think everybody does expect him to be back. He's working on the side today, evidently. It's like Julian Blackman was back practicing. Only Ryan Kelly was doing a little side work. 
Quiddy Pay is just kind of watching a little bit. And you got some red jerseys. Red jerseys belong to Taekwon Lewis and Naheem Hines. And we'll find out more, I'm sure, a little bit later on this week. But this this game, think about this team right now. This team within its own division is an offer. Has not won one. Has tied one. Has not won one. It is weird. If you double back to the offseason, and we were talking about the strength of this schedule as it pertains to the competition of the Colts, and you were going to say, you know how good it would feel? If we were to sit here and go all the way back to July, for example, or June or whenever we were having this conversation, I'm sure it was a number of times. And I were to tell you that they were, up until this point in October, on their schedule, they were undefeated against the AFC West. Can you imagine how you would have felt? Can you imagine? Can you imagine for a moment how you would feel? Maybe just go ahead and detach yourself from reality and just double back to a time in June or July when we talked about this and think about what you have in mind for this team and what would have, in your opinion, gone right for this team to have beaten two AFC West teams so far. Kansas City and Denver. And Denver in a short week. I can kind of read your mind a little bit. Here's what you're thinking. You're thinking that a lot of things are working, starting with the offense. You're thinking that the offense is working. The quarterback is working. Yeah, the quarterback has been a nice, not-so-subtle change from Carson Wentz a year ago with Matt Ryan. You're thinking that the philosophies of Ballard are working, building blocks along the offensive line, trusting the wide receivers. You know what else you're thinking? That that offensive line is so stinking good that they are opening up canyons for 28 to run through. Oh, by the way, too, Naheem Hines, huge offensively. They're utilizing him to a level in which they have never utilized him before, backing up exactly what they talked about all offseason long. Fantasy owners, pay attention here, right, because this is how we're going to use 21 this year. No, and clearly the tight ends offensively, the tight ends stepping up big game after game. Athleticism, athleticism they have. Yeah, the blocking mentality really hadn't played a significant role because the offensive line is so stinking good. You know, what about the defense you know, from what I would have been talking about back in June? Consistent edge rushing pressure from Ngakwe. Guys up the middle on the defensive line making play after play. And we're not even talking about the guy that's been most valued on that defense so far, which would clearly be Grover Stewart. Talking about Buckner. Now, Quiddy Pay in year number two stepping up. You know, a healthy Shaquille Leonard playing. Now, then you look at that secondary with the addition of Stephon Gilmore. Yeah, that secondary that that comes and can play a little bit of center field at the safety position. This defense that can be a takeaway machine. 
All right. Let's now jump back to reality. How much of that how much of that has been true up until this point? How much of what I just said, which what I believe would be inside your mind, your train of thought, if you go back to the midsummer and we would tell you that this Colts team would be unbeaten into October against two of the AFC West teams. This is even before we start talking about the division. Because, right, I mean, especially those first two, it was almost like it, it felt it should be a foregone conclusion as to what they were going to do. But let's just talk about for a moment what all has gone right and what you would have believed would be that perfect scenario. And if you don't know where I'm going with this, because everybody says, well, it's always been so negative and negative this and negative that. This is not so much a negative opener. You know how incredibly fortunate they are to be where they are right now? Think about that. Think about what you thought this team was going to be. And honestly, put yourself in the position of evaluating through the first five weeks of the season. How much has gone the way you thought, especially if you were somebody that had said this team is capable of winning 12-plus games, 13, 14, you know, whatever as a Colts fan you thought they were going to do. How much has gone according to your thought, to your belief, your theory to lead them? to where you hoped that they were going to be. It is amazing, but when you consider it, what's the only thing? Stephon Gilmore? In all what I've just mentioned, and maybe I left something out, but I think I was pretty accurate on it. In all I just mentioned, really, the only thing you may have said back in midsummer is, well, you know, Stephon Gilmore is brought in here to be a playmaker, and Stephon Gilmore, in a time when it was absolutely necessary, was a playmaker. He made a play, and that was the difference between winning and losing. That's why you brought him in, and I don't care what Russell Wilson looked like or what that Denver offense looks like. That was a moment. That was a moment that the Colts had to have from him, and he provided it. He came through. I honestly can't think of anything else. And I know before you say, well, you know, Alec Pierce, you're right, Alec Pierce, but I think we were all just kind of waiting on Alec Pierce to ease his way in. He has eased his way in. He started with a lump, and then right now he looks like one of the dudes out there. You go back to that Thursday night game, and without question he was one of the dudes. He was going after it. It wasn't like the ball had to be perfectly delivered to him. He was going after it. You had no thought regarding Chase McLaughlin, by the way, back in the summertime. More than likely, you felt it was going to be Blankenship. Blankenship lasted one week. And honestly, you look back to that Thursday nighter, and if your MVP is not... Pierce or Gilmore. It's certainly McLaughlin in a 12-9 winner. 
So you can look at it a couple of different ways here. We'll look at it from the positive because so many of you are sick and tired of the negative. You know how fortunate they are to be where they are right now? I know that's not how it's supposed to be, how it's supposed to look. But again, I would challenge you. Yeah, go back at some point when you have a little bit of time and think about where you thought they were going to be if you were told back in July that they would have beaten Kansas City and Denver to start their matchups within the AFC West. You'd be feeling really good, wouldn't you? I mean, all this stuff that you would have thought would have gone right, basically all that stuff hasn't. You know, with the exceptions, a couple of exceptions here or there. There was a drive here or there, closing drive against Kansas City that was certainly expedited by the Chris Jones flag. But still, I mean, you can take ownership of that because they performed and they got it done. Jelani Woods caught the pass. They won. Same can be said regarding Denver. This is one of the most atrocious games ever, but at the very least, it was original in its atrociousness. But no, that's that's the way it is. You would think. Now, if you were to go back, and I would tell you in July, this is all that's going to go haywire. This is all that's going to be foobar. Where would you think this team was going to be now? There's there's one. You flip that. There's one you can honestly think about. Yeah, if I told you the quarterback was going to fumble 11 times, was going to be picked off, what, nine times? How many interceptions does he have? Seven. seven. Picked off seven times, fumble 11 times. The offensive line was going to be in disarray in a short in a short week. You decide to move the right tackle to right guard, the left tackle to, to uh, right tackle, and the rookie to left tackle. Who, by the way, Bernard Ryman is the starter the rest of the year at left tackle. I don't know what other option outside of just figuring we're going to mess with Dennis Kelly. I guess I don't know what other option that they would have at this point. Yeah, the offensive line that we talked about that had to be great. You made all those switches. Really, all those non-injury switches. Leading up to a short week on the road in Denver. And it worked out, by the way. I mean, it didn't work out from an aesthetically visual-pleasing standpoint because it did suck, but it worked out from a win-loss standpoint. And that's what really matters. Or at least that's what really matters in that game. It's going to matter from other aspects as they move forward on the schedule, but that's what mattered in that game. Just getting the hell out of Dodge with a win. But think about all that has gone wrong with this team. And if we were to go back to July and I were to tell you this is all that's going to go wrong, you tell me what this team's record might be. You tell me where this team would be positioned. So seriously, if you want, it's not so much we're being Debbie Downer around here, but if you want to look at it that way, that to me is the most obviously pleasing to you. And you can say all you want about the the AFC South, but I mean, the AFC South has dominated the Colts so far this year. 0-2-1. And through a three-game span, I would call that domination. 
And that's something that has to be fixed coming up on Sunday. Actually, it has to be fixed Sunday and then a week from. Because you got some making up to do. So for those of you that have asked me for a little positivity, I will give you this. Again, take yourself back. Think about what you thought and what this team might be. And then compare that to what you have witnessed through five weeks and what you would have thought back in July where this team was going to be. Two, two, and one is an incredible scenario. Absolutely incredible. So there is your Wednesday positivity for those that are looking for it right there. And again, I don't blame you for wanting it. I've always said this, and people always think that hey, you guys get better ratings with the negative. Nah, you guys want to hear about the positive. You guys get sick and tired of the negative. But there's just been few and far between here. Somebody was telling me a little bit earlier and kind of put me in there with Bob Kravitz about, you know, we got to hear from you guys all the time how bad the quarterback has played. But in fact, he has been better than Wentz a year ago and then Rivers two years ago. It's just that the offensive line is getting his ass whipped. And there's no question about that. But I'm sorry, you can't look at it other than a drive here or there. And thank goodness for a closing drive and thank goodness for a penalty. But a drive here or there, he has played terrible football. All you really have to do is say, how many times did he turn it over? What, 11? He's fumbled it 11 times? And I know that that greatly has to do with the ineffectiveness and the downright awfulness of this offensive line. But that is still on his resume. It sucks, but that's the way that it is. Fumbles, both regained and or lost and interceptions, are going to be on his resume. You're going to look at it years down the road, and people probably won't go, well, his offensive line that year really sucked. He probably will, and I would want to as well. But truth be told, you can't make that argument right now because that argument is untrue. You were still hoping and actually probably starting to get into a bit of a groove. I was trying to think uh, when the old food bar with Wentz happened in that Tennessee home game was back. That was on Halloween last year, right? That was on Halloween. So we, we got to wait a little bit. That's when everybody really started to turn on Wentz. And I'm not talking about Jim Irsay or whatever. I'm just talking about the fans. But at this point in time, I'd have to look back where we were this time last year, but it seemed like everybody was feeling all right about it. And you were still kind of living off of, well, he went out there in week number three and participated, and he shouldn't have been out there. He was clearly injured. And Chris Ballard did not accurately enough have a backup ready so that Wentz didn't have to go out there and play and be basically a fence post with a helmet on. But there's still a a long way to go, and I feel you about hoping that things get better or believing just because of the recent history that things will get better. But none of this is going to get better unless they get a handle on the offensive line. None of it. 
I was talking right before the show, and you're thinking about what Jacksonville has done, and certainly most recently in week number two. Because you can say, well, this is what you get if you're Chris Ballard, if you start and believe that Matthew Pryor is a left tackle. And while that is 100% accurate, that is absolutely operator error. That's what they thought, and you could not have been more inaccurate. At this point right now, you can go back three years ago, and their belief that Jacoby Brissett was a top-20 quarterback, that is more believable than going into the season thinking that Matthew Pryor was going to be your left tackle. That is just such an incredible error in judgment. That's where it has to start. It has to start on that offensive line. Nothing here gets fixed. There's going to be no reason for you guys to really get that engaged with this group and believe if something is not done. And we've heard it all up until this point, right? We've heard about it being communication. So if it were about communication, so in a short week, communication be damned. We're just going to put guys here and there and find out what happens. Jacksonville back in week number two, it wasn't about the outside. They have outside rushing. They have edge rushing presence, but it was about running stunts and twists and coming up on the inside. In the domain where it has been an issue, but beyond anything else, it shouldn't be an issue. I mean, hell, we all knew last year in pass protection, Eric Fisher wasn't any good. This year in pass protection to left tackle, Matthew Pryor hasn't been any good. You got your fingers crossed now on Bernard Ryman, the rookie. Who's going to step in there and be playing that, the starter at that position the remainder of the year? But at least you kind of knew with Matthew Pryor that, uh-oh, hold on a minute. I mean, just your average fan knew that. Your average fan knew and expected that to come. But the interior of the offensive line, you felt it was okay to let Mark Glowinski go. He was going to be too expensive. Then you look at the high dollar at center of Ryan Kelly and the higher high dollar of Quentin Nelson on the other side. Man, Jacksonville, Jacksonville came up and went on the inside a ton and got free reign. Whether you want to blame communication and Jonathan Taylor not stepping up, you think they're looking at that tape and going, wow, we got something right here. And three weeks later, it doesn't look like much has changed. Think they're thinking advantage Jaguars? This thing goes nowhere, absolutely nowhere, without the group in which the foundation is built. And again, we've heard it all. It's been communication. Guys just aren't used to the quarterback and blah, blah, whatever. This thing is not going to work unless that thing writes itself. Uh, by the way, we'll talk to Kevin Bowen about this coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Frank Reich, I saw this a little bit earlier today, was asked, and this is something we talked to Zach Kiefer yesterday of The Athletic about, um, and and I completely would agree. Um, I absolutely thought what was said today by Frank Reich was going to be said today by Frank Reich, but when asked about potentially putting Danny Pinter in at center, 
and taking, even when healthy, Ryan Kelly out of the starting center position, Frank Reich responded with, that has not been discussed. If you truly look at this, and this is nothing against Ryan Kelly whatsoever, this is just about playing the best football at the position. And mind you, what you saw on Thursday night was a small sample of Danny Pinter coming in and playing the position for a dinged-up Ryan Kelly. I get that. But this is when you truly will lose people. Who knows how Danny Pinter might play against Jacksonville. But if you felt the need to make those significant changes going into a short week in Denver, how have you not consciously thought about this? Because it's not just like it was last week or the week before last. This has been an ongoing issue here. How have you not had a discussion? Well, you know, because the offensive line literally has played average to well below average. That is bad considering what the expectations are. And my point is, if you're trying all that on Thursday night, why would you not even consider that at center going into a couple of weeks where you absolutely have to have a couple of games here, one at home and one on the road? You are really significantly, if you haven't lost a lot of folks up until this point, that you have to try to regain with wins and more consistent play, you will lose folks on that. Because one of the Ballard things is, I remember everybody used to say about Chris Ballard, it doesn't matter where somebody's drafted, all that matters is the level of play. If somebody's playing better as a six-round pick, that somebody's going to play over a first-round pick or a second-round pick. Got to be careful with that. Because now we're kind of looking at that philosophy here. I, I don't care who plays as long as the offensive line play is better significantly better than what we've seen so far. It doesn't matter who plays. That's just me. We'll discuss that with Kevin Bowen coming up at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Mike DiRocco of ESPN.com covers the Jaguars. He's going to be in here coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. I have Bullseye Event Center passes. The all-you-can-eat, all-you-can-drink, BullseyeEventGroup.com, the Colts VIP tailgate presented by Hayes and Sons Restoration. Hold on. Hold on. Not right now. I will tell you when it's your cue to call. We'll get you, obviously, on the phones a couple of different times, but I'm going to give my friends via YouTube Live inside the lounge, for example, my friends, really close friends like Lickety, who yesterday was quoted as typing in, you look medically obese. Even friends like that. Inside the, <laughs> inside the lounge via YouTube Live. So, Kyle, we got to figure out a way, measures that we can take to maybe give folks that are mulling around, even a lickety that's also referenced me as Fat Dracula before. Clearly a huge listener to the show and a big-time friend right there. we got to figure out a way to reasonably give people inside the lounge an opportunity to win. We'll think about that. If you're actually watching on the lounge right now, I am rocking a Seattle Mariners old-school shirt. Uh, this is like from the Ted Bundy collection of the 80s. <laughs> Where'd you buy that? Is that the Ted Bundy collection? Yes, it is. The Ted Bundy collection Mariners jersey that I'm rocking. 
uh, in honor of, and I know that it's probably not a good day to do it considering what happened in the ninth inning. Robbie Ray delivers a meatball, and the Astros walk it off with a three-run jack. You know, all the goodwill that the Mariners built just kind of disappeared in that particular half inning. Astros go on to win best of five game one ALDS with that walk-off. But I will celebrate this, and I'm doing this really not just in terms of the Mariners because you got Suarez. I know that, that Winker's injured and not participating. you got Luis Castillo. Shout out to them, former Reds. But Nick Castellanos as well for the Phillies had a huge game one yesterday in Atlanta with the Phillies knocking off the Braves in game number one. So considering we're never, ever going to be able to celebrate the Reds in any sort of position like this because you got the analytics number crunching nerdery going on with Nick Crawl. <laughs> the money ball. Nick Crawl saying, honestly, will probably be somewhat similar next year as to this year, which is a ringing endorsement to bring everybody out to the ballpark in Cincinnati because this year was so enjoyable. You know, when the most enjoyable part is your longtime future Hall of Fame first baseman being in the television and radio booth, that's how you know you have a bad season, even beyond wins and losses. Both both the two consistent points with the Reds. Radio and TV booth, Vado and mic'd up first weekend of the season in Atlanta, Vado. The two best parts of the season if you're a Reds fan. And then Number Cruncher says it's probably going to be more of the same next year. I don't know about anybody else, but that fires me up. So I am celebrating those Reds. Those Reds that are participating. You know, Drury as well, I guess, for, what, half a year? In San Diego, who got handled by the Dodgers in game one last night. We'll celebrate those Reds, former Reds, that are still participating. All right, quick break, and we'll come back. More from me and you at 239-1070. I mentioned top of the hour, Kevin Bowen. DeRocco is going to be here in the 5 o'clock hour. Bullseye Event Center passes to give away to you a little bit later on. you got to listen to win. 239-1070 is the number. The app, the stream, inside the lounge via YouTube Live. HD Radio and 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Hey, my buddy, Swanson, full steam ahead. Over there. I want to go over there. I'll move over, Swanson. I'm driving. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. At Bowen, top of the hour. He was at practice today, or at least the portion in which locally they can view from a very side corner angle there. Saw John Rothstein. Talking Indiana and Kentucky in advanced discussions to play a multi-year series with games both on campus and at neutral sites, uh, according to uh, Rothstein, who covers college basketball right there. See, this is, I guess I don't get it too much. Maybe I should. Maybe I'm just set in my ways. But the whole, there you go being negative again, I just literally went over seven minutes of what is positive about in a incredibly unique way. In a very thought-provoking way. They're 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. And if I would have told you all this junk 
that had gone haywire back in July, you would not expect that. You would expect the worst. So I think some of you, I just won't reach unless I just sit here and say, hey, everything's going to be okay. Everything's great. Just believe in what everybody over there tells you. It's 100% accurate. You know, what you saw on Thursday night offensively, what you've seen so far offensively, is just a blip on the radar. Everything's going to be okay. These guys are professionals. And Ryan Kelly's the top whatever center in the NFL. Hey, listen, that's not me that brought that stuff up. Others that have talked about in the past how hey, it doesn't matter to Chris Ballard, whatever, Chris, whatever. If somebody's playing than, better than somebody else, then that somebody is going to play. That's not me. You know what, though? When you get back to what you guys, not all of you, but some of you want me to say, I just can't do it. I can't do it. I could sit here and tell you that crap all day long. I just don't want to. It's beneath me. It's beneath us. Beneath all of us. All right, this is what's wrong. This is why we believe it's going wrong, and this is what has to be fixed, or this team is going to be endlessly screwed the rest of the year. Meanwhile, I mixed in some positivity while telling you exactly how you could view it because it is incredible that they're 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. And if Thursday night was any indication, it's even more incredible that basically either one of those teams, and certainly the Colts, won that game. It's outstanding. Just can't sit here and give you three hours of, well, they say everything's going to be okay, so I think it's going to be okay. And that's beneath us all. But no, you can certainly find some positives, Stephon Gilmore being one. DeForest Buckner with a couple of sacks, you know, is back to, at least in that game Thursday night, being what you expect from DeForest Buckner. But a lot of aspects of this team haven't been, not even close. I know not everything, not all the issues, not all the 11 fumbles or the seven interceptions are on the quarterback. But decision-making comes with the territory. And it sucks that a 37-year-old dude has to run for his life every time he snaps the football. But two things come with that territory. One would be got to make better decisions. You got to know. You got to know that you have zero time. And that's not just the quarterback, but that's the offensive coordinator, Marcus Brady. That's the head coach, Frank Reich. And then, you know, I don't want to be told about how, well, it's the whole Matt Ryan short passing game's not something that he does very well. Well, you better find a way to do something well. Better find a way. I know that that was what Phillip Rivers did well. And you know what? It worked. It worked. That's probably a big reason why the greatness of this offensive line had been so overblown is because of the way that they protected him. They just didn't have to protect very long. Ball snapped and it was out. But if the offensive line will continue to protect like that, you have to find different ways, different measures to take 
to get this offense moving. Not just one series a game. You know, that final series. And by the way, that final series, if you remember, they moved the ball. They had a lot of short stuff going. You got to find a way to make your quarterback and your offense better efficient with this offensive line and the way that it protects. And if you're Jonathan Taylor, once you get back, you just got to put your helmet down and go. You got to put your helmet down and go. And it's a struggle to see any crease, to see any light on the other side. But those those are the expectations. Again, those are the expectations that come with being a quarterback, and those are the expectations with 28 that come with being arguably the most talented player on that team, the most relied-upon player offensively on that team. I mean, other than that, you're just having me lower the bar again. You guys really want that? Every time you guys go back to last year, well, this is what was great about last year. There was nothing great about last year. There were some fun moments, but the start and the ending, that's what you want to relive because I don't. I don't. I thought the beginning of last year wasn't any good, and the ending of last year was dreadful. So I don't want to relive that. Uh, we'll see what they can do against Jacksonville coming up on Sunday. DeRocco is going to join us coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. We will certainly talk about that. From John Martin, he writes this, JMV, I often wonder how players are evaluated. What has Quentin Nelson done in the league to receive the reputation as an elite offensive lineman? It is just hype. What has he done to become the highest paid lineman? Well, there's no doubt there's a bunch of hype. And I'm not, I'm not going to take away the fact that he is a very good offensive lineman. But you have to you have to not just be the best, but those around you also have to become the best. You notice, right, when when you take an elite level player, normally there's a player or two around that elite level player that gets much better just because of that player's presence. It's kind of like it's kind of like TV-wise. It's like putting anything around, around Seinfeld in the 1990s. You could put Jonathan Silverman in the single guy, and it could suck unimaginably. But people are going to watch it because it's on before Seinfeld. You could put me and Kyle Udemark before Seinfeld on a Thursday night must-see TV, and we could be making fart noises with our armpits, and people are going to watch because it's on before Seinfeld. At some point, you have to count on that with your elite-level players. You have to count on, hey, this guy's in the neighborhood. That's why, you know, that's one of the reasons why he's getting better. When, in fact, the two positions surrounding Quentin Nelson have got progressively worse. So those are some of the things that you think about. And I'm, some of you are going to say, well, that's so unfair to Quentin Nelson. No, it's not. When, when you're at that level, when you're compensated at that level, that comes with that extra baggage. That will come with unfair baggage. It's just the way that it is.
But you expect those guys to help them, help others around him. Again, that just comes with the territory. That's something you would expect. You expect the same thing with the quarterback. How many years did Peyton Manning, when he was here, he made names out of some no-name guys? He threw 90 interceptions, I believe, in San Diego. Was that a Sunday night or a Monday night? 90 interceptions, and they still had an opportunity to win the game, and he was throwing to guys like Profonzo Thorpe and Devin Aramashadu. He's the only reason anybody ever knew the name Blair White. I think Blair White's a dentist now. That's what you expect from your elite level and elite level compensated players. Comes with the territory. All right, quick break, and we'll come back. Kevin Bowen, top of the hour. Duraco is going to join us coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. Before the top of the hour, somebody's going to go and be a part of the Bullseye Event Center with bullseyeeventgroup.com. you got to listen to win for that. All you can eat, all you can drink. Skids is going to be a part of it as well. It's going to be a blast. 10 a.m., the doors open coming up on Sunday morning. I'll start things at 9 a.m. for you as well. That is the Colts VIP tailgate presented by Hayes and Sons Restoration. Somebody's going in the next 15 minutes here with 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. If peeing your pants is cool, consider me, Miles Davis. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Shout out to those that believe the Saturday show should be on Sirius XM. We would rip a new rear end on that bad boy, would we not? Thanks for mentioning that. Duraco's at the 5 o'clock hour. Hey, who won? Who's going to bullseye on me? Because I'm a really nice guy. I'm a swell human being. Who's going? The winner was Jake Sanders. Jake Sanders. Let me think. I'm going to go through my Rolodex of whether or not Jake Sanders has ever been a crank to me before. Because you know I remember this stuff. You know I carry a grudge. I do not have in the category of being a crank to me before. Jake Sanders is not there. Good play. No, no. There's a Sanders there, but he's from Franklin Central. What was his first name? He's like a coach. He's a basketball coach down there. He was a huge jackass. The only uh, youth <laughs> basketball coach I know you don't like was what, the the Pike 80? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. Gonna be thrown out of a gym. Red face, red ass. <laughs> Go with it. I'm not even paying attention. The Colts game on. No, no, um. Chase? No. Casey? I haven't thought about that in a while. It was, that was a Miles Turner thing with the guy from Franklin Central. No, I think Jake Sanders in my Rolodex of Jack Assery is all clear. Well done, Jake Sanders. We'll see you coming up on Sunday inside the Bullseye Event Center. BullseyeEventGroup.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, the morning show. Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. Kevin Bowen joins us. So it's it's well past now. I brought you back in with the Tina Turner Classic, one of the living from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome in honor of Max. Look at that. Yeah. I know. Never, you don't, you don't get this, you don't get this stuff everywhere here. You don't get it everywhere. 
No, I mean, that's the reason why, like you said, people are clamoring for serious for you on Saturday night. Oh, my so. God. You imagined the rear end ripper that I would cause around this nation <laughs> on a Saturday night. <laughs> they are so not ready for that. So, yes. Yeah, one of a kind. That'd be simulcasted everywhere. Well, wait a minute. I can see radio nerds going right now. Program directors are going, wait, he's playing Metallica at 825. Wait a minute. Well, I don't know about that. That's too hard. <laughs> nerds. <laughs> Hey, I do want to ask you this. Kevin Bowen was out of practice a little bit earlier today. And I know that it's a small sample size that we saw on Thursday night, but it did look like when Danny Pinter was in there, things started executing better. Is it too small of a sample size to at all suggest that he should be the starter over Ryan Kelly right now? Because that's how I feel. I just want to make sure that there's a little bit of fairness in it because I know that not only us, but certainly the Colts, given what they did last week to retool the offensive line in a short week on the fly, they're kind of grasping at straws as well. Are we grasping at straws or is that a legitimate change that should be looked upon? Yeah, it should be. I, I, I think it should be. Um, I think there needs to be a pretty honest conversation. I think there needs to be a conversation where Ryan Kelly's tenure on this roster, his financial commitment um, needs to be put to the side and having that conversation. It's a question I asked Frank Reich to end today's press conference, and he had said that that has not been discussed. And made sure I threw in the caveat there of when Kelly is healthy, because right now um, – he did not practice today, uh, was off doing some jogging off to the side. Obviously, we saw him leave that game in Denver a little bit early with a hip injury. And, and you know, I think part of the reason why you've seen a regression in his play, John, is due to these just continued just kind of nicks and bruises really through the better part of his NFL career. And I think in particular, um, in the past couple of years, I, I just think over time you've seen a guy show up on the injury report Every other week, miss a Wednesday here, sometimes miss a Wednesday and Thursday. And I think, you know, as he's reached the age of, and he's got to be close to 30 years old, um, he might be suiting up, you know, virtually every week. But I think some of that just kind of wears on you. And, you know, when you hear Kirk Herbstreit on Thursday, be like, you know, Pro Bowl center Ryan Kelly, one of the best in the league. I, I'm like, ah, I, don't, I, I don't feel that. And so I think that's why, that's part of the reason why you have that conversation. The other part is, is the Pinter side of it. Um, you know, you drafted him in the fifth round, which I, I, I think is somewhat notable round for an interior offensive lineman. And the Colts, more than really anybody else, have made it clear over the years that Pinter's been in the league that they feel like he has got potential at center more than guard. Now, he obviously started at guard, and that did not work out this season. But they really feel like center is a little bit of a different story. So uh, I thought it was a question that deserved to be asked. Again, Frank said that they something they have not thought about so i think as of wednesday afternoon we can probably pencil in three of the five offensive line starters for sunday and um probably have a decent idea what the right side is one of the reasons why i'm trying to justify it is because it was a small sample size that we saw on Thursday night. And it's also because Danny Pinter, you know, fair or not, it's a different position, but he did get benched, you know, earlier in the season uh, at right guard. So it, I, I think right now 
to me, you justified, Kev, because clearly, as I mentioned earlier, they're grasping for straws, making those major changes in the short week as they did. They don't have any answers right now. And I have said this, if this offensive line does not play at a much, much higher level, this team has no chance. They are so fortunate to be where they are right now, considering what has gone right compared to what has gone wrong they have to fix it, and it's up to those guys that play, to those guys that get paid heavy dollars to be the difference makers here. You know, not even so much the guys like Danny Pinter or Will Fries or whomever else. It's up to those guys. If they continue to kind of wallow in that lower level of play, this team, and not just the offense, has no chance. Uh, I, I would agree. I think something that is a little bit concerning, too, about the O-line is, John, we're October 12th and not a single offensive lineman of your starting group has missed a game yet due to injury. You know, it's not like you've been dealt Quentin Nelson out for three weeks, Braden Smith out for a month. You know, you, you felt some of that last season. So I think what happens when that inevitable offensive line attrition starts to hit that unit. Now, again, Kelly's a little banged up right now. We did see Bernard Ryman miss some time in September, but he wasn't a starter at that point. Uh, I think that is something that kind of adds to it. And I just think in general, when you talk about the highest paid guys, when you talk about Kelly, when you talk about, um, you know, Smith, when you talk about Nelson, I think all three of them starting to suffer some injuries. I mean, Quentin Nelson had three surgeries in a year last all, not this past off season, but the off season prior to that. I mean, that's significant for anybody, let alone a guy, you know, north of 300 pounds. Braden Smith had his first, you know, kind of real dose of injuries last season and playing through that. Again, Kelly, as he reaches the age of 30, it, it continues to pile up for him. So I think that is what kind of adds to it. But, I mean, right now it's Bernard Ryman at left tackle. Um, it, it's going to be Nelson at left guard. It's going to be Kelly at center if healthy. And then the right side, as wild as it sounds, part of me thinks Braden Smith at right guard and Matt Pryor at right yeah, tackle. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm right there with you on that. Yes. Is going to be the move Sunday because yeah. if you're going to do something as crazy as they did last Thursday, which was absolutely crazy what they did, you have to think they said to themselves, if we're going to commit to it on a short week with no practice on the road, we're committing to it for multiple weeks. Because, you know, again, if you're going to do it without any practice time, you're certainly going to want to do it with a little bit more practice time. And in the back of their minds, did they say to themselves, let's do it here. We'll live with kind of obvious growing pains that we saw on Thursday night. But the games that really, really matter, I mean, they all matter when you have the record the Colts do, but the games of even more importance are this Sunday with Jacksonville and at Tennessee next Sunday. So Kevin Bowen, Morning Show, Kevin and Query, weekday mornings right here, 7 until 10 a.m. here on 93.5107.5. The fans on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. I'll double back to that in a minute because I completely agree regarding Pryor. And I talked about this yesterday, Pryor and, and Smith and going back to that and just, I guess, letting Ryman be Ryman. By the way, Ryman was somewhere caught between a nightmare and wanting to vomit on national TV. Um, or I should say on Amazon TV and then on national TV here locally on, on Thursday night. Did you catch that? When they got those shots after those penalty flags were thrown inside his helmet, you thought, all right, he's somewhere between nightmare and puking right here. Yeah, that's probably a good way to describe it. And I did think they gave him kind of a quick whistle a couple times. You know, one of those holding penalties, I thought Ryan just kind of got out of the pocket and Ryan didn't exactly know where he was. So, um, this was part of the Bernard Ryman experience, though. I mean, when you draft a guy 
from Central Michigan when he's only played tackle for two years. He's only played football for, you know, what, probably five or six years. But the fact that, again, he has only played that position for a couple of years, if and when you're going to turn to him, you had to have expected some of this. I find it odd, and I went back and double-checked this, John. I went back and looked at, you know, when they made the changes during training camp to the O-line because there weren't many at all. And it was day 14, so they waited till the fifth and final week at Grand Park before we saw the first different-looking offensive line combination of camp. Uh, that is quite a long time deep into camp before they made changes. You had already gotten through the joint practices at the Lions. You had already played two of your three preseason games. So at that point, when you make those changes, those true evaluations, it's only a couple more training camp practices. There's no more joint practices. It's one preseason game left with Tampa. At that point, you know, it's kind of hard to get, you know, as accurate of an evaluation as if you would have experimented a little bit earlier in camp. And, and there I'm talking about mainly with Pryor and with Penter. I, I think about this all the time, too. Yeah, going back, and I forget when this happened. Maybe it was the, the same time he kind of laughed at you for the wide receiver thing. You know, I constantly brought up looking into moving Nelson to left tackle, and he, and he actually laughed about that once. I'm curious your thoughts on this. Uh, be completely neutral, and it's cool however you answer. You know that. What's more laughable, my thought of moving Nelson to left tackle or his thought that Matt Pryor was going to be any type of solution this season to left tackle? Uh, I would go with the, the prior because Matt what? Pryor himself laughed at that idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> when, when, when the player you're asking to move to that position initially laughs, yeah. uh, th- that, that would be everything I need to see to say, oh, wow. Um, well, thanks for the honesty, Matt. We'll go back and reevaluate things. Um, that's, 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 essentially, that's kind of like me if they come up to me and said, hey, we're going to cast you as the lead in this porno movie. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that is maybe the best analogy. Jake Query would dream of analogies. Yeah, I know it. Like that. Uh, he's, he's at home. Right. He's, he's very aroused with that analogy somewhere right now, <laughs> taking a nap. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sports arousal for you, radio arousal <laughs> for Jake Query right now in his apartment. Um yeah, I uh, it, it's prior, and honestly, the left tackle thing. It, it, and you and I have had this discussion. It goes back several years. I mean, as soon as Anthony Costanzo flirts with retirement, that to me is the immediate red flag of how do you pass the torch? How do you start to groom that next left tackle? And they've ignored it. And again, that's a position that Ballard holds in high regard. It's not wide receiver. It's offensive line, which he talks about. A whole, whole lot. So, um, yeah, I <laughs> the whole Matt Pryor thing. I mean, it's not like he played left tackle at TCU. It's not like he had been there in Philly. He had primarily played on the right side of the line of scrimmage. You asked him to drop weight in the offseason. You asked him to totally shift his body in terms of you know, he did a lot of boxing training to get used to kind of flipping his hips to the left side. It, it's – I guarantee you if you asked NFL teams – what the Colts did with Matt Pryor at left tackle, they would wholeheartedly agree with you. It's one of the wilder things they've seen yeah. for a team and an organization that is so public in wanting to build through the trenches. I just, I, I constantly find that 
hilarious considering how he laughed. And that was the final time. There was like, like a final time that that whole Nelson thing was brought up, and he, you know, he laughed about it. And then I had to hear from everybody that he was laughing about it. And I thought, well, you know, uh, it's probably a better idea than the one you came up with in reality, right there. <laughs> well, yeah, I would certainly uh, say that is the case based off what we've seen here through the first five games. It was, yeah, I, I um. I did not not understand the prior thing. I think when I saw the prior thing, I thought to myself, okay, you know, they're going to draft a tackle, yeah. you know, relatively early. And, you know, when they drafted Ryman, I mean, not for a second. I remember having this conversation with some people in the offseason. Third-round rookies do not start at left tackle. They do not start at left tackle from, from day one. So even, like, you know, committing to, pri- or committing to uh, Ryman out of camp, that would have been rather unheard of in the NFL. And I also think there's a bit of a stubbornness, and I get that it's a tough balance, but I think there's a bit of a stubbornness you see in games to help out that left tackle. Like, I'm thinking when Costanza was banged up uh, with Reich calling the plays, it was surprising to me how they left the Julian Davenports of the world on an island as much as they did. I think we saw that with Ryman a good amount the other night. And, again, I say it's a tough balance because – when you are void some playmakers, you obviously want those guys out on route trees and you don't want to keep a tight end or a running back end to chip, you know, every single play. But at some point, if you don't help out that tackle, then any sort of passing play that you have tried to draw up is not going to work. Hey, Kev, in week two, the inside pass rush where, you know, oftentimes nobody was touched getting to Matt Ryan was huge. For Jacksonville, when they were running the stunts and those twists that seemingly always confuse this Colts offensive line, and really that's nothing new. Do you think we're going to see more of that coming up on Sunday? Because they have the capability of coming hard off the edge, which will give this offensive line the way that it is right now, tremendous issues and problems. But, you know, we saw it differently as they came up the middle on those stunts in week number two. What do you think we're going to see more of from a defensive standpoint on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, Jacksonville has individual talent, but like you said, in that week two, it was not just Josh Allen, you know, getting after the quarterback as much as he did. It was stunts, it was miscommunication. I think one of the Allen stunts, if I, or one of the Allen sacks, if I remember, was him stunting, you know, from his spot opposite Matt Pryor right up the middle, and Matt Ryan didn't have a chance. Um, and 11 hits and five sacks, I mean, those are huge numbers. Now, I do think, good news for the Colts, you know, the fact that you will have Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce in this matchup and you didn't have them in week two, that should greatly enhance your ability not to necessarily have to see Jacksonville loading the box as much as they did to stop Jonathan Taylor. And then you get behind the chains because yeah. you're four on first and second down. And now you're in obvious passing situations. And we obviously saw what, what happened. So I think that is a a, a big personnel difference from the first meeting that you should have. I know it's not directly O-line, D-line but that should help your your offense. I found Frank Reich's answer today about moving Braden Smith, the right guard, a bit interesting um, in that he really wanted to try and firm up the interior of the pocket, and he wanted to try and improve the interior of that offensive line from a run game standpoint. And I think you can make the argument, maybe week one would be different. You can make the argument the best run success the Colts have had all season was on Thursday night. Yeah. And, again, did moving Braden Smith inside help that? Um, Now, firming up the center of the pocket, I felt like most of the stuff was a little bit more edge on Thursday. 
Um, I mean, do you really need to have Nelson, you know, Kelly and Smith in the interior? It just seems like, man, you are really committing a whole lot in there. But maybe as a 37-year-old quarterback, you say, we need the interior of the pocket a little bit firmer. Um, And again, that goes back to my earlier point of, do they keep this offensive line group the same, which would mean leaving Matt Pryor at right tackle. I would probably move Braden Smith out there and, and put Pryor at right guard. Uh, but that's me, and I'm not sure if they are going to follow suit with that. Do you base your decision upon the availability of Jonathan Taylor? Because I could also argue that on Thursday night, maybe you know, once Jonathan Taylor is ruled out, you know, all of a sudden the focus that you have on being worried about that probably falls off to a level reasonable to what we had witnessed. I mean, even with what we saw with that production, you know, from the couple of backups, whether it was Jackson um, or, or Lindsey, props to them it's not the same and certainly the same focus probably wasn't there yeah that's a good point um and and i you know do you you talk to taylor do you talk to ryan you know are you asking them what do you guys want do you guys want a little bit better out on the edge do you want a little bit more sound in the interior because that seems to be what you're doing with Braden smith i mean again reich made it very clear today this is not a we feel like Braden Smith is playing subpar at right tackle and we can upgrade him at right tackle. This is more about securing that central part of the pocket there. Uh, but I did think both Deion Jackson and Philip Lindsay, and we should note today Philip Lindsay did not practice. So if Jonathan Taylor is going to be out this week, Taylor's doing some kind of light jogging off to the side, you know, then it would be Deion Jackson, Naheem Hines in all likelihood coming up. But I, I still think we're early in the week. Um, to to go there, um, but that is something that I felt like from a run game standpoint, um, it was probably the best you've looked since, since week one. Kevin Bowen joins us. I was screaming about this at the half on Thursday night, and I don't even know how reasonable this is. And, and Stephen Holder kind of shot this down when I presented this to him on Monday. I, I wanted to see them go if they had any of that in the playbook and the arsenal whatsoever. Quicker rhythm. Shorter pass plays, screens, more of a screen game, any kind of screen game like that, considering the level of pass protection they were getting. Um, Are are they slow to jump to that because they believe in the offensive line or their belief is that Matt Ryan is not good at that? Is that at all conceivably in their option or their arsenal, I should say, as an option moving forward? Yeah, I I think part of it is that is not necessarily Ryan's bread and butter, but – I feel like and Matt Ryan said something today that I thought was just totally spot on about, you know, you've got to stay out of these third and longs and you've got to start winning first and second down at a better rate. And, you know, do you find some sort of quicker rhythm passing game? Now, again, I'm not sure that you outside Alec Pierce, I really don't know if anyone from a wideout standpoint truly threatens a defense deep to where teams say, Hey, we can't challenge that guy at the line of scrimmage because, if there's one pump and go or if yeah. there's one, you know, he all of a sudden curls and Matt Ryan pump fakes and he's gone, then that's a 30, 40-yard gain. I don't think the Colts have proven that on film. Even the ball's well, – Well, he doesn't have time to do any of that. I mean, that means the protection would have to be there and develop a pocket. He doesn't have time to do that at all. That's not even sure. an option right now. Yeah, that's certainly a good point. Um, I just – I feel like you have got to stay on schedule. And I know that sounds very, like, coaching cliche, but if I'm not mistaken, I think the first four third downs against Denver were, like, third and 12, third and 15, third and eight, third and seven. 
I mean, you do that on the road, you do that against a good defensive line, it's game over, especially with how broken you are up front right now. And, again, when you're struggling to run it, that obviously gets away from it. I felt like something against Tennessee and how they got back in the game, and I'm sure some of this had to do just with the score and how Tennessee decided to defend you after that. But I felt like in that game, they passed to get back in the game. Uh, In particular, the tight ends were really, really important and getting back into it. So, I mean, do you pass to set up the run? I mean, I go again, that goes against what I think so much of what they are about, but I think, can you find a little quicker rhythm? Is that some stuff that you can do? I mean, like, you know, is Paris Campbell on a screen and he now makes, you know, four or five yards and now it's second and six, second and five. Michael Pittman at 220 pounds breaks an initial tackle and there's five or six yards. Again, you protect Ryan, you protect your line a bit. And now you stay on schedule and you open up more of the playbook and you stay away from you know, Jacksonville absolutely pinning their ears back. Um, and Denver is up there certainly as a total defense. But, I mean, you look at Jacksonville. I mean, John, they are a really good defense. They across are. Across the board. Yep, they are. They are a legit top ten unit in virtually every category. And that, I think, is what adds to the frustration. I mean, you're in this current drought, seven straight games of 20 points or less which ties the longest mark for this franchise since 1993. It's been historically bad. And yet outside of really Denver, you haven't played many great defenses at all in this stretch. And again, even Denver, you know, they were missing their best pass rusher and Randy Gregory the other night. Jacksonville, I think, has proven through the first five games that they would certainly qualify as a good defense in this stretch. I think that's what kind of worries you. It's like, man, you haven't been able to score against bad defenses. What's it going to look like against good defenses? No, I'm with you on that. I just, it just, I I don't know about anybody else. I'm kind of at a point right now where, and I hate this cliche and I end up using it, it kind of is what it is and you have to adjust and adapt to what it is. And what they have pass play-wise drawn up is not workable with the type of pass protection that we have seen. And you have to adjust to that. So I, I thought maybe there were a couple of pass plays in that final drive that, that maybe hit the mark with me. But I, unless this drastically improves, I would think you would have to probably try to call upon that somehow, some way, even if that's not the forte of the quarterback. Uh, I, I would assume the forte of the quarterback is also not fumbling 11 times and throwing a seven interceptions so far in the season either. So something has to be done, right? You would think. And and that last part, John, I mean, think about that. I mean, Matt Ryan, 15-year veteran, is literally handing the ball. His ball security is like my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter in the pocket. I mean, it is it is incredible it is. watching him cough up the football or the interceptions in particular on Thursday. I mean, that was just – I mean, that stuff, if you threw Sam Ellinger out there tomorrow, you would expect yeah. from a first-time no starter or a guy in Ellinger who's never thrown a pass in the NFL, not a guy like Ryan. And that's where you can look at it. Two ways. I'm talking to Stephen Holder about this earlier today. Glass half full can say that's so abnormal for Matt Ryan. He's going to snap out of that. You know, 37 years, 37 years old, 15 year vet, et cetera, et cetera. Or the other glass would say, well, maybe this is just who he is at this point because Father Time is starting to catch up. And more than anything, he he knows he's playing behind a broken offensive line, and that's impacting decision making. That is speeding up his mind a little bit. That is not allowing him to process how he wants to. It's a little jittery. It's a little bit just just not totally confident in what he's seen and what he feels. And maybe that is contributing 
to some of it as well. All right. Kev's got you along with Jake Query coming up in the morning, 7 until 10 a.m. It's the Kevin and Query morning show right here on the fan. And Kev's via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I'll talk to you coming up on Sunday morning with the uh, ride to kick off a little bit after 9, and we'll dive more deeply into who's playing, who's not playing, and uh, how this matchup looks coming up on Sunday morning in just a vital matchup, to say the least. Kev, I appreciate you. Yep, thank you, John. Kevin Bowen in the morning show, Kevin and Query right there. Your chance to win Bullseye Event Center passes, the bullseyeeventgroup.com Colts VIP tailgate. Presented by Hayes and Sons Restoration, that is coming up your opportunity in the next 30 minutes. Plus, inside the lounge via YouTube Live, one of the knuckleheads in there is going to get a chance to win coming up a little bit later on as well. Meantime, Pacers, Knicks tonight, Gamebridge Fieldhouse, the Nary voice of the Pacers joins us coming up next. Duraco on the 5 o'clock hour right here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. I don't understand the words you just said. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. You know, that re-entry was coming right there. It wants to take me back to one of these tweets somebody sent me a little bit earlier. <laughs> if I can find it. See if I can translate it. Hey, J-Law writes this. Apology if you've addressed this already. Dennis Kelly says he's been healthy since week two. Any idea why he's not been given an opportunity? That is a glorious question mark. And by the way, J-Law, I'm not suggesting at all he is going to be a grand solution. But considering the changes they made last week, and you just kind of wonder, why not? I'm assuming that he's just, has he just been that bad? Is that our conclusion? We'll get back to that in a second. J-Law, Andy Moore, Automotive Group, Potline, Knicks and the Pacers, preseason game number three later on tonight. The voice of the Pacers, Chris Denary, joins us. Is that on TV for us this evening? You got it. Oh, that's we are beautiful. on TV. I am just uh, walking into uh, the practice facility right now. I may have a little bit of an echo, and I'm uh, getting okay. ready to use Getting ready to use the uh, underground tunnel to go to Gamebridge Fieldhouse. The underground tunnel. It sounds like you're in a bathroom stall. Either way, it's good to me. <laughs> I will be uh, one second, John. I'm giving you a play-by-play. Okay. I, I uh, hit my card now on uh, the reader. Yeah. It went green. The door opened. Which means you're still now, employed. Excellent. And it, it is good. And now now I am good. Should be no echo. That's what happens when I pull in here to the parking garage every day. That's like, all right, it goes green, so I'm still employed. Well done. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's the good news. And, and, and uh, I don't know why they have cameras on me right now. It's DJ. There's DJ. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, you know, they're here to see what the players are wearing. Not what the uh, 61-year-old play-by-play guy is wearing. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, too. What, what do you expect? I know that everybody got charged up, and it seemed like a great atmosphere at the Fan Jam on Sunday, one of the better atmospheres in a while. And I know it's still a preseason game, but what, what are you expecting as far as the fan interest that you're going to see tonight? Well, I think there's a lot of interest. I mean, I, I did an event last night as well uh, here at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, and uh, a lot of excitement, you know, that – they know the direction. They the, the fans, you know, you talk to them, they understand what the Pacers are doing. They've got a young core. Uh, they uh, extended those contracts today. If you saw that, all those young players, Halliburton and Isaiah Jackson, Duarte and Neesmith. So uh, 
I, I think it's just going to be fun to watch these guys, especially tonight. Um, you know, did not play as well as they would have liked on Friday in New York. And now you have a chance uh, to, to do something tonight. But you're right. Going back to Sunday, um, that crowd for Fan Jam, I, I talked to a former Pacers assistant and Bulls, former Bulls head coach Jim Boylan, who's been at a lot of practices. Um, and he said, that Fan Jam crowd, he goes, I don't think we would have had anything like that in Chicago or San Antonio. So, uh, that was great to see, and, and hopefully it portends for the rest of the year. All right, what, what has uh, stood out to you so far? Only two games. I don't know what great, incredible form of reference that you have right now out of these two games, but anything stood out so far in the preseason? Yeah, I think a little bit of a small sample size, but what I've liked is uh, Duarte and Matherin putting their head down, putting the ball on the floor, and getting to the basket. Uh, in the first game against Charlotte, they had 72 paint points. And in the first half, they were 20 of 20 at the free throw line. And, and so I think when you have guys that are good free throw shooters, Duarte and Matherin are that, you need to get to the free throw line. Those are, those are easier points. So I think that's been what's impressed me, John. Um, you know, just the ability to, to get to the basket. And Matherin, you know, showed a little bit of that in college. But this is a little bit different because, um, you know, bodies are bigger, those types of things. But he's been very fearless. Uh, he's been the Pacers scoring leader in each of the first two games. He was uh, the Pacers scoring leader during summer league. So he sort of picked up, uh, picked up where he left off uh, back in July. Yeah, I mean, and again, uh, you know, hopefully this lasts for a long time. But there is a, a great deal of new and fresh and interest in a lot of guys and a lot of combinations that you've never seen play together. So there's no doubt that's where you're going to get a lot of that initial level of interest coming up here. I think that's the key word you just used, and it's fresh. And I think that's something as they've sort of reset what they're trying to do. Um, you've got 10 players on the 18, now 19 man, because they added a two-way player, Tre- uh, a Treble and Queen, uh, yesterday. Uh, I think it's 10 players are 22 years of age or under. And if you go to 24 uh, years of age and under, it's 12 of the 19. So definitely a young team. Chad Buchanan met with our entire Pacer Sports and Entertainment staff yesterday, and he put a couple of things up on the board. He put, John, 23.9 and 25.5. And he asked, what do those numbers mean? 23.9 is the average age of the Indiana Pacers. 25.5 is the average age of their G League team, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. The Mad Ants have an older roster than the Indiana Pacers. So uh, that that tells you what uh, this franchise is doing, building around the core, the young players, as you said, freshness. And uh, I think that's the exciting part of the year. So Kristen Aries got you later on tonight, the voice of the Pacers on TV. Get the Pacers and the Knicks, the matchup. They exercised team options today on Duarte, Halliburton, Neesmith, and Jackson. I want to go with with Neesmith because this is kind of a wild card of, hey, if it works out, that's great. Um, And I know that you want to work out. You don't want it not to work out. But you kind of look at it as I would assume – the same was viewed upon regarding Jalen Smith when he was brought over last year, and you saw how that worked out. How has that gone so far from your eyeballs? I think it's gone well. The, the only downside is he won't play tonight and is out 
for a little bit. Hopefully he could be back by opening night, but he's got plantar fasciitis. He suffered that injury uh, Friday night in New York. But uh, I think if you were able to see the game last week in Charlotte, he had 16 points and a couple of threes. And to your point, you know, he was with Boston and you're behind Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So there's not a lot of opportunity to see a lot of time, just as Jalen Smith didn't have that opportunity in Phoenix. So absolutely, John, I think he is, he is somebody that, you know, the Pacers value. He came over in the Malcolm Brogdon trade. He fits the timeline. Uh, he's a young player and uh, he did a lot of nice things. Uh, and he's played well in, in preseason and training camp. It's, you know, it's just hopeful that uh, he won't be sidelined by this injury too long. Hey, Chris, I know you got to run in just a second. I, I want to end it with this because we've had and we view kind of absolutes, things that you can absolutely expect. And with a team that is this young and this is new, I, I don't know how many there might be on the floor at any time this season, but are there any absolutes in your mind from what you're going to see either individually or team-wise from this group this year? You mean absolutes on? Yeah, things you can be... count on. Like, well, this is what yeah. you're going to see, and this is what you can count on. Because, I mean, clearly a team that is making a significant transition, there's not a lot of those absolutes. Uh, if yeah, Really, less than a handful, probably. I'm curious if one or the other may stick out to you. I think Tyrese Halliburton could be a 2010 guy. I really do. Um, he averaged 17 and almost 10 assists last year. Uh, in the 20-plus games he played for the Pacers. So um, I I feel pretty strongly about that. Um, The other thing, and I think they'll bring him along slowly as far as, you know, whether he starts or not, and that's Benedict Matherin. I mean, we just talked about, um, you know, how well he played in the summer and in the first two games. He's been very good in that second unit with T.J. McConnell. And so I would think as they bring him along slowly, they keep him in that second unit, bring him off the bench, um, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how those two guys work. I mean, if you go back to the Charlotte game, uh, that second unit was key in building a 20-plus point lead with McConnell and Matherin and Neesmith, uh, Terry Taylor, and they used Miles Turner. What they've done in the first two games, John, is Miles has been the first sub out, and then he's the first sub back in to come back in and play with the second unit. So um, that's what you use these preseason games for. Um, you know, to work on your combinations and, and, and see what your rotational patterns are going to be. And, and tonight, you know, it's just another night to do that. And then they'll also have one final uh, preseason game on Friday night, a 7 o'clock game against Houston. And, and again, both these games are on Valley Sports, so on Valley Sports Plus. And uh, we've got 84 straight. We've got these two and then the 82 in the regular season. And I'll just tell you, by the way, uh, the Pacers Plus package uh, that they put together, those six tickets, uh, which which are really good games. You right. get a subscription to Valley uh, Sports Plus. It has gone over very, very well. Uh, they are doing a really good job of selling it. People are responding. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, people especially that don't have cable or that type of thing can take advantage of that, and you'll be able to watch uh, each and every Pacers game on Valley Sports. Hey, by the way, we asked J.J. to be on, I don't know when it was, last time, and he couldn't because he was getting a haircut. So his hair better look fantastic tonight. Let me tell I you. Will, I, will, I will make sure yeah. uh, to, to see if I can uh, see what that, that hair looks like tonight. It, I, I, I was with him last night. Again, we were working this event. I didn't quite notice that. 
So I'll I'll make sure it is perfectly yeah. poised tonight for his sideline. It better team. look damn good tonight because we will be critiquing. All right, let him know. All that. right, that sounds good. All right, buddy, have a great call. We'll do it again soon. All right, thanks, John. It's uh, Denary right there on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, Bally Sports Indiana coming at you at what six thirty tonight? Seven p. The tip Knicks Pacers preseason game number three for you. I didn't ask one question about Miles Turner. How proud are you? I just know Miles. Miles is just going to just shut everybody up. Can't wait. I can't wait. And then everybody's going to be rushing to my Twitter account at JMV1070 to say, you know what? You absolutely had this thing pegged. I know I did. You believe that, Kyle? Everybody's rushing to my Twitter to tell me that I'm right. I'm excited about that. It's coming. That's what people love to do on Twitter, right? Yeah, tell you that you're right. Praise oh, yeah. you when you're right oh, and not yeah. uh, come at you when you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of like that whole thing. When you get in trouble for being an a-hole, that's you know what you do. You, you uh, play the victim and you blame the media. It's right out of the playbook there. It's okay. We'll all come to an understanding that I was right, even if you don't tell me that I was right when all this takes place. And they lead up to the trade deadline, and then they find a different seat for him, which is logically, to me, going to happen. Quick break. We'll return to Rocco at the top of the hour. Jacksonville since week two and the blanking of the Colts. We'll talk to Duraco about that and more. And we got bullseye event center passes for you, so I would advise you not to go anywhere. Back with you next. The Ride with JMV. Awesome! Totally awesome. All right, 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Trying to hang in here with Duraco because his normal reentry being from Jacksonville is classic Skinner. Play some Skinner, man. And I'm curious to lead into this whether or not we're getting a familiar stench within the AFC South, which started really well from Jacksonville. They're now losers of two consecutive, the Eagles and the Texans. And by the way, that was stankity. No doubt about that. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from ESPN.com, our friend Duraco is here. I led you in with some classic Skinner, as I normally do, and that smell. Uh, are we getting a familiar stench setting in within the AFC South in that level of play right now? <laughs> the last two weeks have not been very good. Right. Uh, it has smelled a little poopy around here in Jacksonville, especially last week's loss uh, to the Texans at home, which – certainly falls in that inexcusable category, to be honest with you. I know the Jags aren't a spectacular team, and I know that they're not, you know, an upper echelon team or what have you, but they should be beyond playing like that at home and losing like that to a team like the Texans at home. That was just a, that was a bad loss. There's no other way to look at it. All right. So what uh, what was really stanky around that team? Was it just everything? All in a big stankity ball there? Kind of like what you watched on Thursday night with the Colts and the Broncos, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't think I could watch a game that was worse than that. And then came Sunday. So I feel really lucky to have been able to watch both of those. Um, but I mean, it, like Trevor Lawrence didn't play very well at all. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the defense, you look at it and they go, they gave up 13 points. That should be good enough to win. And it is. Um, but, you know, they, they couldn't get off the field on the the touchdown drive. They had a third and 20 and 
Trayvon Walker, the number one overall pick, jumps offside, and then to compound that, he decides he's going to take Davis Mills and toss him over his shoulder and gets a 15-yard penalty, and boom, that keeps the drive alive, and they still couldn't get off the field because that was around midfield. Um, and then Damian Pierce breaks like 17 tackles uh, on a run down inside the five-yard line. So it was, you know, there were breakdowns in most um, areas there. Um, but really, I think the thing that people were most disappointed with down here was Trevor Lawrence's end zone interception right there at the uh, beginning of the third quarter. You know, it's 6-6 at half. They come out. The offense is really humming. They drive all the way down the field. Um, and I think it's second and one inside the five. Um, he rolls to his right. You know, if he decides to just run a few more steps, he can go ahead and get that first down and then boom, live, you know, first and goal inside the five. And he throws a pass that was just a terrible decision and, and Stingley picks it off. And, and that was pretty much it um, for the Jags at that point. They weren't able to recover from that. So just bad plays here and there all around. Um, and it was just, uh, I mean, that's not a good Houston team. I mean, it, it, no. I mean, you look at that, there's no play, there's no star players on that team. And yet somehow Davis Mills is two and zero against the Jaguars in his career. Well, there's a, there's a tie hanging around the neck of this squad here, Mike. So um, better, but uh, not, not that much better. Mike Duraco of ESPN.com is with us. So we often think about just the, the absolute, mastery the Jags have had in Jacksonville over the Colts, which obviously we saw in week number two. We saw it at the end of the season a year ago when everything was on the line for the Colts. But what we tend to forget is how the Colts back in week 10 a year ago here had to survive against Jacksonville. So it's not really just Jacksonville playing extremely well against the Colts in Jacksonville, but we saw it without a a defensive stand-up here or there in that game back in November of a year ago. Things could have gone haywire then, too. Yeah, that was one of the better games they actually played, one of the better games they played on the road, I should say, um, last year, which was I think Jamal Agnew had a a long touchdown run on an end-around in that game, if my memory serves me. Um, but I think he got hurt later on in that game, or maybe it was the following week. I've kind of blacked out most of 2021, if you can understand. Um, well, you're too busy writing the Urban Meyer story. stories, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, so <I> <laughs> you had to cover that. Most of that out. Yeah, I don't even know if, like where I lived last year was that bad. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they've played pretty well against the Colts recently, and. and you know, look, there's no doubt that the Colts are stinging from that loss down here a few weeks ago, and this is not going to be a, a team that – it won't be the same team because, you know, um, who was it? Michael Pittman didn't play in that game, and Pierce didn't play in that game, right, um, in Jacksonville. So it's a different look um, that they'll get. And, you know, Ben Bartz, the left guard, starting left guard, has gone for the season here, so it's a little bit different here. Um, you know, I'm not sure what the status of Jonathan Taylor is going to be uh, obviously, that'll obviously get cleared up a little bit more in the week. But, I mean, I, I don't think that if anyone thinks the Jags are going to come in there and, and just kind of win this game pretty easily, I think they'll be mistaken. I think it's going to be a tough game for this team. They, 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 they were talking in the locker room today. They know they blew an opportunity. Um, you know, had a chance to beat the Texans. You yeah. could go up 2-0 in the division. Then if you go up to Indy and you play well and you win that, you 3-0 in the division, and now you're the early team in control. So the only way to bounce back from last week is to go up there and play well. But, you know, I, it, it's it, this team is young. It's inexperienced. They do have some veteran guys. But when you've got a young quarterback like that, everybody's in the system for the first year. Um, you know, you just don't know what you're going to get. It's going to be up and down. And that's what we saw out of this team. And 
you know, I'm probably going along too much in this question, but the biggest problem for this franchise right now or this team right now is that they went out to L.A. and beat the crap out of the Chargers. Um, if you had told Jaguar fans after five games they'll be two and three, you didn't tell them who they won, they would take that in a heartbeat. But this team goes out there and beats the crap out of the Chargers, even though they didn't have Keenan Allen. They lost Boza. Um, they lost their left tackle during the game. But they put a 28-point whooping on the West Coast. So that all of a sudden changed the expectations for people around here on that team. And it was probably – well, it definitely was a little bit over the top. You know, it's a inconsistent team, and they're really a six- or a seven-win team. And, you know, that's how you should kind of look at them. And two and three after the first five games would have been fantastic if you told everybody that's where they would be, um, you know, at this point, if you told them before the season. It's Mike DiRocco of ESPN.com covers the Jaguars and the AFC South. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, we had talked about this. The first couple of weeks of Christian Kirk was was outstanding. You maybe even go the first three weeks or so, right, was outstanding. And the last couple, not so much. Is that a product of the overall offense, a product of the lack of quarterback play, or on the shoulders of the big free agent wide receiver signing? Um, I think there's a little bit um, to a little to, to all of it, to be honest with you. But I know that um, you know there are plays where he was open because when you know I've, I've sitting in the press box, you can see it that he's open, and Trevor decided to go elsewhere. Um, Trevor also has a tendency to get impatient, and you know what that Lovey Smith defense is going to do is it's going to make you try and be patient as a quarterback. Uh, a lot like with the Gus Bradley defense there, where you know the, the smart play is to take the the shorter routes, the checkdowns, the safer throws, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Kirk coming across the middle with a linebacker matched up on him is probably not the ideal thing. But if you have that and you're the Jags, you take advantage of that. But Trevor didn't do that this last week. Uh, the week before, the conditions were terrible, um, you know, up there in Philadelphia. But, you know, I think he only got targeted three times. So it's, uh, it's a problem that, the, you know, they have to fix because I think the offense flows much better when it kind of runs through him a little bit. So we'll see what they do this week to kind of compensate. Um, you know, I think the good thing, if you're the Jags, is like you know what you're going to get out of a Gus Bradley defense. I mean, they kind of just do what they do. You know, maybe there will be a few more wrinkles put in. Maybe they'll blitz a little bit more. But for the most part, you kind of know what you're going to get. Uh, and that should be something that should get him rolling again, especially if they can get him in the middle of the field. Um, you know, matched up against, uh, you know, a linebacker or a safety. So this defense of Jacksonville, I mean, extremely got after Matt Ryan, which has been the Colts' offensive issue all season long. I mean, everybody's gotten after him. But we saw that in terms of not even so much they could if they wanted to come off the edge. But there were a lot of – I've explained this to the listeners, a lot of twists and stunts where they got free going up the middle. They blitz going up the middle, oftentimes – untouched so my question is will they do a lot more of what we saw work so well and efficiently for them in week number two defensively up here Sunday I think so especially just to test it out to see what kind of adjustments the Colts have made and if they haven't made the adjustments or they haven't or you aren't able to kind of pick it up and it's still giving them problems and I think you'll see a lot more of that if they do kind of pick it up and handle it then you know there'll be some adjustments that the Jags will make but I expect them to go at it early you know when you when you've got a quarterback and and and, and a guy like Matt Ryan who is not the running athletic guy that gets out of the pocket quarterback the best thing you can do is get pressure right up in his face and that's what they're going to try and do they they did it like you said in that uh week uh 
was that that week two victory. Yep. So I expect them to kind of, like I said, test it early and then kind of go from there and see if, uh, if you know, the Colts have done anything to adjust. I saw what Doug Peterson mentioned. We have to stay disciplined. What, what did that mean in, in terms of the question that he was asked there? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it was more, he was talking about, I believe, the overall discipline in terms of, you know, hey, against the run, we need to stay in our gaps. We need to do the job that we're supposed to do and not get out of position. Um, you know, it's one thing to get moved out of position, but it's another thing to kind of take yourself out of position because you're trying to freelance or you're trying to do too much. Um, you know, offensively, stay disciplined in terms of, you know, look, understand that just because you can make a throw doesn't mean you should make a throw. Uh, take the smart play. Make them, you know, take what the defense gives you. Uh, make a play when it's presented to you. Just just don't try and score 14 points on one play. Uh, you know, I think that that's when you get a young team like this has and, and most of, um, you know, the Jags are it is a pretty young team. You get guys that are impatient. You get guys that want to make big plays. And you get team guys that somehow get out of position because they're not following what they're supposed to do. And I think that's the key. When they, they won those two games, they beat the Colts and the Chargers, Everybody kind of was disciplined. They did what they were supposed to do. Trevor took the smart throw, the short throw, um, threw it downfield when he felt like he you know, had a really good matchup. That's the kind of stuff. Just follow the game plan offensively and defensively. Don't try and do too much. And, and if you can do that, they think, then they've got a chance to be competitive with pretty much anybody. All right. Mike Dorato joins us, too. You got, I believe, the Colts, if memory serves, obviously Sunday uh, and then the Giants, and then it's off to London. So London here in a couple of weeks to end the month of October for the Jags? Yes. Yeah, yeah they play the Broncos in London, yes. All right. So, I mean, it, you look at it this way, I mean, you get a chance to get up off the mat, which I'm assuming that, that maybe a lot of folks got pretty high about what happened, as you mentioned, against the Chargers, and then since that point in time kind of been put back in their place. What do you expect, if at all, anything differently from what we saw in week number two? We'll start offensively because really they did a lot of what they wanted across the board on the field. But any changes by virtue of these last two games that they've lost compared to what we saw in week two and what was a 24 nothing blanking of the Colts? Anything different you expect? Um, I think they're going to try and run it a little bit more um, on the edges. Uh, they didn't have a lot of success running the ball against the Colts. Um, you know, their per carry, uh, per carry average is pretty low. I want to say it was under three. Um, but, you know, just kind of get some shorter, quick throws for, for Trevor Lawrence, too, to kind of get him going. He has a tendency to, to be um, a little erratic at first, and he kind of has to settle into the game. So, you know, they're going to try and attack the edges a little bit. Uh, I think we'll see a lot more of uh, Travis Etienne early than maybe we uh, did uh, in week two. And, you know, get Lawrence in a rhythm. I mean, the kid's a rhythm passer, and let's find a way to get him two or three or four connections that are really easy throws, stuff he doesn't even have to really think about just to kind of get him settled in. Um, but, yeah, I don't expect much different. Like, I don't expect them to be taking a ton of shots down the field or anything like that, but I think that will be, you know, what they'll do to kind of get him going. All right, I'd like to ask you this, too. What's your overall assessment of what we've seen now fully in-depth in October with the AFC South? Well, um, it's not a surprise to me that the Titans have rallied. Um, that's a, they're a good team. Mike Vrabel's a good coach, and they always seem to respond. I mean, how many times in the last couple of years have we thought, ooh, the Titans, ooh, that doesn't look good, that's a bad loss. 
and yet they somehow respond, and there they are sitting atop the division at the end of the year. So, um, you know, I think the last time we talked, uh, I was not high on the Titans, but after seeing what they've done, um, you know, I've kind of changed a little bit, obviously, and I kind of think that they're the favorites in the division right now. I haven't really liked what I've seen out of Matt Ryan and, and the Colts, obviously. Um, and if you're the Jags, you got to be sitting there going, I can't believe that we lost to the Texans. But, you know, if the Texans can play sound, mistake-free football, which they did against the Jags, then they're going to be a tough out. So um, a little bit has changed about my, you know, feeling about the AFC South. But I think the Titans, you know, the last thing anybody in this division wanted to see was them start to rebound, and that's what they've done. Hey, you know, Mike, I explain this because I always felt that Jim Irsay here was somewhat smitten. Um, jealous of of the success of the Titans in the past two years especially. And to go along with that, kind of jealous of the way that they play because that is a lot of the way that they expect to play here and with that level of toughness. And that's what you've seen to me. And I know that this is kind of just the blanket, well, this is just, you know, what you think about this, this Tennessee team. But they they just get through tough situations better than anybody else in this division and they have, and that's one of the reasons why to me, they're just different than everybody else. And until another team can step up and, and be tough to that level and deal, you know, with, with a tackle going out or to deal with a defensive lineman lost at the beginning of the season to deal with AJ Brown getting traded, you know, back in the spring, they deal with stuff to me, that's just better than anybody else within this division. And that, that to me is what the biggest difference is. Yeah, well, that's that's their head coach. That's the definite personality of their head coach. It's a blue-collar, hard-nosed, okay, I can't do this, well, I'm going to do this. Um, it, you know, that's, teams generally take on the personality of their head coach, and that's who he is. That's all who he's always been as a player, Pittsburgh, New England, you name it. A guy that just gets it done. He puts his nose down, and, and he just gets his hands dirty and gets it done. And the thing about that team is they're they're always physical. Like, even in 2017 when this Jags team – you know, won the division and went to the playoffs, they got beat both times by the Titans because the Titans were one of the only teams, in fact, were the only team that would stand up and go toe-to-toe with the Jags and punch them in the mouth every single play. And those kind of teams that do that, that that's their bread and butter, that's their identity, generally weather, um, you know, uh, adversity much better than other teams. So it's not a surprise to me to see where they are. And and again, they've had the garden variety of injury issues, questionable quarterback play issues, all of that, but they're always able to sustain. And I, I, I think you're right regarding Vrabel. There's no doubt about that. But I think that's something that is translatable throughout that locker room from player to player. They just kind of feel they have that edge on everybody else until proven otherwise. Yeah, and it helps when you if you want to be a physical team to have a guy like Derrick Henry smashing the ball down your throat every single play. Um, but yeah, the, well, we're supposed they, to have that here, and you know, we you know, the, this offensive line has been awful so far this year in both which, pa- in pass protection and in run blocking, which is probably a bit of a surprise. Um, obviously, I would think you know maybe they. I didn't expect them to struggle that much. Um, you know, I, I thought, you know, I think I told you guys before, I thought I liked the Colts better than anybody else in the division. Um, and I missed on that, I guess. <laughs> well, a lot of people missing right now. The amazing part about it, Mike, is 2-2-1, two, two and one, especially coming off of what was the world's awfulest game on Thursday night. People were saying, hey, can you just be positive for once? 
And and my point at the start of the show was this. It was when you go back to July, if I were to tell you this is all that is going to go completely haywire and not work for this Colts team, yet they're going to be 2-2-1 two, two and one and still in the thick of it. I mean, what would you think? Or if I would tell you what your record might be if everything was going to go as wrong as, as what has for the Colts so far. And, you know, most people would not believe, for example, they have two wins against the AFC West and no wins so far against the South, which is completely odd if I would have told people this was what was going to go wrong so far through five weeks of the season. Yeah, and that's why, you know, it's it's really – wrong for us to draw conclusions about what we see the first two or three or four weeks of the season because things change so much and you know teams are are not who they are in october um in september and i think a little bit of it too is honestly is is they're playing in a division that's not very good but you know beating those two afc west teams i don't know at the beginning of the year i don't think I would not have expected the Jaguars to beat any of the AFC West teams, and yet they went out there and won one in, in, in L.A. So, you know, who, who knows? Um, but I do think that, you know, the Colts still being alive in this division is, is partly because it's not a great division, but, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. You can only play the teams you play. So, you know, I guess if you're a Jags, a Titan, Colts, you know, Texans fan, you're just happy you don't play in the NFC West at this point. Yeah, and I mean, really, I think everybody, I, I was trying to think about what the Texans have done against the a AFC West. If you're calling that certainly a benchmark of greatness this season, I think they have two losses against the, the AFC West. And uh, what uh, the Jaguars, what are the Jag Jaguars had that impressive game against the Chargers. What else have they done against the West so far this year? That's the only team that's they it? played in yeah. the West. So, so far. I mean, yeah, the, the yeah, Colts are two and zero against the West. That's weird. If we talked about that back in July, I guess that's beyond expectation a little. We probably would have laughed about it. Yeah, there's no, no way we would have expected that. Yeah, one hundred percent. All right, you getting your ass up here on Sunday or what? Yeah, I should be there Saturday afternoon, four thirty, five o'clock. Uh, looking forward to weather in the thirties in the morning. No, I'm not. I'm just lying. <laughs> Um, actually, I am looking forward to a change for a little yeah. bit. It'll be nice for a couple of days. Nah, it uh, it'll be good. We'll see what happens because there's going to be uh, a lot of dictation made as far as who comes away with this win on Sunday uh, for a good spot within that division moving forward and who's going to be even further behind the proverbial eight ball if you lose that game on Sunday. So it's a big one nonetheless. I, I sit here with without a win in the AFC South and a tie is still through three games. Amazing to me. From a cold standpoint, it, still is. Yeah, and it, and it, this is a big game for the Jags. It doesn't really end their season, but man, if you're one and two in the division already, and you one of those losses is to the Texans at home, and you know you don't play the Titans well, and you know you don't win in Tennessee, uh, it's going to be a hard climb out of the cellar if, if they don't win this week. Hey, Duraco, you're always clutch, man. I appreciate it up here. We'll see you on Sunday at some point in the press box. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You got it. Mike DeRocco of ESPN.com covers the Jaguars, covers the AFC South. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline, we'll take a quick break and come back. Time for your calls the rest of the way. Troy begins, but you can jump on here at 239-1070. That would be spectacular. By the way, uh, the afternoon baseball game two of the NLDS is under a now lengthy rain delay. I think they're talking about the Phils and the Braves getting together finally and playing around about 7.30 or so. 
is what they're suggesting right now. So that would be 7.30 Eastern time, obviously. And that is game two of the best of five NLDS between the Phillies and the Braves and Philadelphia up a game in that best of five. Padres and Dodgers game two. The Dodgers up a game in that best of five, 837, coming up later on tonight from Dodger Stadium. No Tyrese Halliburton tonight. Uh, he will sit it out with a slight injury. So, Knicks and the Pacers down at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. That's game three of the preseason for the Pacers. No Tyrese Halliburton. I think Daniel Tice is also missing. And then who else is out? Yeah, Aaron Neesmith also will not play uh, later on tonight for the Pacers in that preseason matchup. Again, we got you right here with that coming up later on this evening. 6.30, your pregame coverage begins. 7 p is the start of that game again from Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Okay, quick break, and we'll come back. Your calls at 239-1070 inside the lounge via YouTube Live and your chance at some bullseyeeventgroup.com, Colts VIP tailgate passes for what is going to be a blast coming up on Sunday beginning at 10 a.m. Your chance to win is coming up before 6 o'clock with 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Collect them, trade them, or just enjoy them. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Pacers next tonight. Pre-game show begins 6.30 following the Colts Daily Update with Matt Taylor where he will talk about the practice report for a Wednesday today. Stefan Gilmore set it out due to rest. Uh, Ryan Kelly is nursing a hip situation. He was a DNP. Shaquille Leonard with that concussion and the nose situation DNP'd. Yannick Ngakwe was resting. He did not participate. Quiddy Pay with an ankle did not participate. He's week to week, by the way, which to me sounds like pretty good news considering what we saw almost a week ago on Thursday night. Jonathan Taylor did not participate. He was jogging and kind of working out on the side. Julian Blackman was back with that ankle injury on a limited participation basis. Naheem Hines had a red jersey on trying to come back from yeah, that brutal-looking concussion on Thursday night. And Taekwon Lewis, also dealing with a concussion situation, uh, was back on a limited basis. Quentin Nelson, as Kevin Bowen had mentioned a little bit earlier, dealing with some nagging injury issues, both an ankle and a shoulder. He practiced in full earlier today. So there is your practice update. Right there. Hey, by the way, uh, shout-out to Christy Pastore who has me loosely, it's loosely based, not on any of my past or anything like that, but I am a character in her book. I think I brought this up before, Snowed In with the Boss. (laughs) A holiday romantic comedy outstanding. Jim McCann in Southern California has his own copy. Enjoy that reading. 239-1070. Troy is up today hello troy how are you all right how you doing today fantastic sir? you want to talk a little miles turner at me do you i do go ahead um about 2019 2020 season mm-hmm. they broke his i might mention this before but um i i was always to keep those two guys together sabonis and turn i was on your side so what I'm trying to get at here was when 
Miles broke his nose, my wife was sitting, you know, with me, and when he started wearing that mask, I said, well, there goes our our side of the bargain, because I said, he won't hit a thing with that mask on. And it was just the opposite happened. He started hitting everything he shot from the outside. Now, since he put the mask away, it's went right back to where he kind of was before, you know, off and on, I think, a lot. And I always think of him like Richard Hamilton with Detroit. He always wore a mask and shot well. I think Miles was playing a whole lot better with a mask on. Don't know why, but he... And I always wanted someone to look up the record and see what he did during that stretch. Oh, I think that's a job for Kyle Unimark right now. Look up the record with Miles with a mask. Hey, as outrageous as it may sound, I am a huge fan with wild-ass ideas right here. I'm a fan of it. I am a fan. I would listen. If I were an athlete and something worked, I would do it. I yeah, would know, do it. I I, I I tried to find out earlier, um, you know, and, and see what they could find out. But they, I don't know. They they surely know when he broke his nose and how long he played the rest of the year. I think with a mask on. Yeah, yeah. And my wife was sick at the time, and she said, "Well, she she has passed away." And so I remember that really definitely because of that, you know, because uh, she was, I said, oh, this is going to take yeah. uh, our side of the view down the road to where you won't, you won't be able to play the Pacers any longer. But then, he, And then another thing I liked about Miles is he signed with us before, too. He signed an extension. And that kind of meant a lot to me, uh, him and Sabonis both. Uh, and then I probably better get off here, but uh, I would like to say um, what you do for your fan base is amazing. Oh, that's very nice, Troy. That's very nice of you to say. I enjoy I wanted, the I enjoy the listenership out there a great deal. I wanted to see you in Avon or Plainfield, and I didn't even know he was going to be there until that day, and I didn't get to see you, so I missed you a bit. I'll try. Well, dude, I'll be back. I know I'll be back in Plainfield coming up here later on in the year, later on in okay. the football season. So we'll be back over there. But, hey, thank you for the kind words, man. I appreciate the call. And can I say one more little quick thing? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to, I know this sounds crazy, but to, to, and to the rest of the staff there, you know, like Query and Bowen and Dan Dockage, and, you know, you guys really do, do a hell of a job. And then also I want to say Ursay and uh, and Mel Simon, thank you for, you know, keeping the pace, not Mel, but Herb Simon, uh, for keeping the paces here in the Colts and give us something to talk about, even though we always don't win. You know, there's a lot more things to life than just winning sometimes, you know. Troy, dropping the perspective, man. I appreciate everything you just said, honestly. I appreciate you being a listener, and uh, I can't wait to see you out at some point when we're at Buffalo Wild Wings in Plainfield, and we shall share an ice-cold okay. Bud Light. You got it? Uh, all right, sir. You got it, Troy. Thank you. I don't mind these wild-ass ideas of wearing the mask. Kyle, have you looked this up, feverishly looked this up in the past three and a half minutes? What's your determination? Give me the results. It was 16 games he played with the mask, averaged 14.8 points a game, seven rebounds a game, shot 43% from three and 51% from the floor. Oh, yeah. Richard Hamilton did wear that mask. Richard Hamilton, was he had that breathing technique, right? And he said he never got tired. Like the uh, lava lizards of the Galapagos Islands. You remember what film that's from? They breathe through their eyelids. What? 
Yes, that's true. That's, that's a movie thing, right? That's yeah, not does real. anybody know what that's I'm referencing? What film am I referencing here? Breathing through your eyelids like the lava lizards of the Galapagos Islands. Anybody got a film for me there? Anybody name it? Tim Martin says, getting hammered with JMV is high on my bucket list. Let's do it. What is that, like every week? <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, it's not. If somebody doesn't answer that question quick, I'm going to be upset. I'm even looking inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Nothing? The lava lizards. Anybody? Thank you. Finally, Brian Quinlan, Bull Durham. Never seen it. That's just ridiculous. That's even a sports movie. There's a lot of sports movies I haven't seen. It took me forever to see Remember the Titans. Well, I mean, Never among, seen Major League. Among the baseball movies, that is right there. Just beneath, directly beneath Major League. And I think it's higher. I'd rather watch that than The Natural. Although, I will say this. Um, when, when Crash Davis starts to get mad and then he ends up getting released and then just quits and ends up back on her front porch so they can do it, um, I kind of lose interest a little bit then. Because then it kind of turned into a love story. But I like the, the baseball part of it. Yeah. I mean, even though even though that uh, Tim Robbins clearly had never thrown a baseball in his life before he did that film, clearly, still great for me. Yaney got on that with Bull Durham right there. Just a little bit late. No, and I don't mean the lot lizards or the lounge lizards. Donnie Baker, C. Fitch. <laughs> the lava lizards. That's a a line from Bull Durham. All right, where were we? So he did pretty good. He should strap the mask back on is what we're saying. He's not going to. But... His points were – actually, everything was up. His points yeah. were up. His rebounds were about the same. I mean, his career, he's shooting 35% from three. So yeah. he was shooting, what, 43% yeah. in that stretch? Go back to it. Do it. I do. I do. I still do this today. I mean, I, I'm i superstitious about stuff, too. I like weird stuff. Especially I, if you don't already have a broken yeah. nose. You, do you think you play a little bit more fearless knowing that you have the mask on? No, he probably would not think about doing it and probably think it would be ridiculous that we're having this discussion. But, yeah, there's no doubt. Hey, JMV, I know you're an expert on knee pain. Actually, it's foot pain right now. Knees feel good. It still sounds like in my left one I have gravel in it, like loose gravel. But uh, my foot's the problem right now. Will CBD oil, Paul, help me out there? Or just going ahead and... Going someplace where it's legal and just sparking up a fatty. Is that just going to do it right? <laughs> Clearly not around here because it is illegal. CBD oil. Listen, I will say this, Paul. I have absolutely done it all. I have done it all because I battle as I get older to try to remain um, in a context in which I was when I was younger, and that is playing a lot of hoop, hanging around, and doing that against people that are 20 and 25 years younger than me. Yeah, I hold that. I prioritize that. But uh, I'm not suggesting it didn't help, but just not significantly enough. We have the race of the day coming up. 
Harris Hoosier Park Race of the Day, 50-50 in betting and dining from Harris Hoosier Park Racing and Casino in Anderson. We got that, and somebody's going to go to the Bullseye Event Center before the 6 o'clock hour. I'll tell you when to call, and somebody's going to win that 50-50 VIP experience from Harris Hoosier Park Racing and Casino in Anderson next. The Ride with JMV. Wow. I don't know what to say. I guess... Well, I guess the only thing I can say is I'll promise to keep rocking and rolling and making better films. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Yeah, I think about every time that Mark Wahlberg quote comes up from Boogie Nights that the late, great Burt Reynolds hated Boogie Nights, hated his role in Boogie Nights. Interesting. Uh, hey, by the way, your Harris Hoosier Park Race of the Day winner, Vince Okerson, 50-50 in betting and dining, courtesy of Harris Hoosier Park Racing and Casino. It is in Anderson. It was Starlet Finale for the win. $5 the place, 380 the show, 260 ER Brandy placed at $11, showed at $5. Wild Way was a $3.20 show. The $2 exact payout went for $31.40. And the 50 cent trifecta payout was all of $44.95. There it is. We'll do it again tomorrow. Your Harris Hoosier Park race of the day. Congratulations to Vince. Tomorrow's show, by the way, Free Spirit in Castleton. That's a Larcity Bourbon Locks and a Lunazul Tequila Shots. Week number six of the NFL season. That's coming up. Me, Brent Halverson of the gang tomorrow. Free spirit in Castleton. Hopefully you guys can make it because, as usual, the uh, free samples will be a flowing coming up tomorrow. That's going to be spectacular. Me and Brent and others, the free spirit in Castleton. That is coming up tomorrow. Friday, by the way, too, Average Joe's in Broad Ripple on a Bud Light Blue Friday. We're going to have plenty, from what I hear, of Jaguars Colts tickets to give away. That is coming up on Friday. Average Joe's Broad Ripple on a Bud Light Blue Friday. Jennifer chimes in at JMV 1070 with this greatness, how to be an 80s douchebag. (laughs) I think I I got it right. (laughs) And it is using actor James Spader in his normal stereotypical, in this case, role of the 80s as, again, your typical 80s douchebag. The big hair, the big chest hair, the gold watch, the white suit. That's how you're James Spader. That's well done right there, Jennifer. Thank you very much. Quick break. We'll come back. I've got a little uh, OT for you here. How long? How long is on the clock for OT? About uh, two and a half minutes. Two and a half minutes on the other side of OT right now. Number nine at 239-1070 is going to go. The Bullseye Event Center, bullseyeeventgroup.com. The Colts VIP tailgate presented by Hayes and Sons Restoration. Sunday morning doors open at 10 a.m. This is not tickets to the game, but passes into the Colts VIP tailgate. Number nine, all you can eat, all you can drink. And just full-scale enjoyment slash entertainment and the best game day experience possible. The Bullseye Event Center. Number nine at 239-1070 will go on me. Two and a half minutes of greatness. That's on the tail end of this next.